want to just focus on two main themes from that passage that we read in John chapter 8. Enemies and eternity. Are you an enemy of God? Or are you at peace with God? And where will you spend eternity? If you're a Christian and you seek to tell people about God's truth, what kind of reaction can you expect? I'm sure many of you who are Christians do have a desire for others to be saved. And it would be great, wouldn't it, if everyone with whom you shared the gospel was saved. But we know from both our Bibles and from church history and from our own experience that that doesn't happen. And many people are sometimes vehemently opposed to gospel truth when you share it with them. And in this account, we see what people's response to the gospel will often be. We're forewarned in the scripture as to the kinds of responses that we might expect to find in people. You young people, some of you perhaps are very new in the faith. And if you stand up for Christ in school, how might it be? How might they react when you let them know that you're a Christian? When you let them know the kinds of truths that you believe in, regardless of what's happening in society around us? Students at university, if you determine to live a godly life, if you determine to be a sanctified witness of the Lord Jesus Christ at university, how might people treat you? Again, particularly when they come to realize some of the truths that you hold to, which stands completely opposed to those who would have been parading through the streets of Liverpool yesterday with their rainbow flags, for example. Everyone, when we meet with unbelievers and they hear us challenging the accepted standards and moralities of the day in which we live, when they hear us proclaim the truth of God's word, which highlights the sinfulness of men's hearts, and as we tell people how things really are according to the word of God, who they really are, as we saw this morning, what reaction is likely to come your way? Not always, but often maybe. Talk to people in general, in general terms, about the ills in our society, and you'll find that in quite a few areas they'll agree with you, and the conversation will be running along quite nicely. Begin to suggest that they are as much a sinner and just as much in need of God's mercy and forgiveness as anybody else, and that's when your conversation might begin to hit the buffers. Who, me? The sinful heart has no difficulty 
seeing the problems over there in him or her. But me? Oh, that's different. Well, in this passage we see the enemies of Jesus. We see these men who stand fiercely opposed to Christ and the gospel and the truth of God's word. And I want to draw your attention to two things. I want you to notice, first of all, how they operate. How they operate. The reaction to all that Jesus has said in the preceding verses that we've been looking at over the last few weeks and this morning, what do they do? Well, they resort to insult and to ridicule and to abuse and slander. Jesus has cut down everything that they hold dear, their traditions, their heritage, everything they believe makes them acceptable to God. The truth that Jesus speaks cuts through it all and brings rebuke and correction to the way that they've been thinking. And they find that they have no other response than to get very personal. Because they're stumbling around in spiritual blindness. And so they simply cannot believe, they simply cannot accept the message that Jesus is bringing to them. And because of their spiritual state, they can't find any meaningful response. The things that Jesus is talking about just stump them completely. And so we read in verse 48, do we not say rightly, you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They have no reasoned response that they can bring other than to decide we just need to drag this man down, let's call him names, let's say the worst thing we can possibly think of and say that this is who this man is. The Samaritans were a group of people who lived to the north, Galilee and beyond in that region. They are the remnant of the old northern tribe of Israel, those ten tribes who were separated off uh, in the Old Testament after the reign of Solomon as the king. And those ten tribes, uh, before the southern kingdom of Judah, um, just over 700 years before uh, Christ, they were conquered and ransacked by the Assyrians those who did survive intermarried with people of other nations and people of other faiths and religions. Any Samaritan, although they probably would have some Jewish blood in their veins, would struggle to say with any kind of accuracy, for example, which of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom they used to belong to. They did have a remnant of their Hebrew ancestry. You remember the Samaritan woman at the well and uh, we're told in the narrative that it's, it was Jacob's well and she speaks of their father Jacob whose well this is. So they have that understanding of what, where their roots were somewhere back there but their true Jewishness has been completely lost the remaining Jews despised them because of this uh, and would have nothing to do with them. Uh, they were, as far as the Jews were concerned, these were apostate 
perverters of the truth. Nothing to do with us. They're this strange mixture of all kinds of things, ungodliness and wickedness. And to be called a Samaritan was bad enough. To be called a demon-possessed Samaritan, well, they're just hurling kind of the worst insult they can possibly think of at Christ. That's who this man is. The worst kind of slur you could direct against a Jew, let alone against Christ. You demon-possessed Samaritan. And then again in verse 52, now we know you have a demon. This is a complete denial of the person of Christ. It's a complete denial of the Father who sent him. It's a complete denial of the Spirit of God who's at work within him. Total denial of the triune God in the things that they're directing against Christ. They are enemies of God. And they're scathing of all that Jesus is presenting to them. And it's no surprise that we will sometimes face exactly those same kinds of reactions today. Because people have exactly the same nature and they, they don't really know how to respond to these things other than to hurl abuse and criticise and ridicule. Now, of course, people today in general, they're not religious people like the people who Jesus was talking to. But they do have a whole load of beliefs and values, nevertheless. And those beliefs and values need to be challenged head on. They need to, exp they need to be exposed for what they are standing as they do against God's word. And these people need to be confronted with the truth of God's word. And no matter how gently you may try to do it, no matter how graciously you may try to do it, you can expect that sometimes this is the kind of reaction that you'll get from people. It's a wonder to me that we don't get that kind of reaction more often when we go on door to door, for example. God in his grace... Uh, keeps us from those kinds of responses uh, too often. But you see, you have to remember that as a Christian, you're speaking on a completely different level to them. You are speaking from a completely different world to the one that they are in. You are in this family with this father. They are in that family with that father. And that makes a huge difference when you speak to people as to how this message was, will be received unless and until God works in them by his grace and by his spirit. You are someone in whom God's spirit is at work and has worked. He's given you insight into spiritual realities which sinful men and women cannot and will not understand unless the Holy Spirit does that same work in them. And because of this, for the most part, they have no meaningful response or reply to any of the things that you say. And often they will try to deflect you off onto other issues and other topics. Other ground that perhaps they feel a bit more confident in talking about rather than the truths of the gospel and the claims of Christ. They may ask questions some will be polite about it. Some will think you're crazy. And when pushed, 
may well start to resort to insult and ridicule and slander and abuse, especially if there's a crowd of them and it's just you, because they'll egg one another on, won't they? A religious bigot is a term often directed towards faithful evangelicals today. Narrow-minded people, hard-hearted people, callous people, you Christians. Especially when they're in the crowd. And although that is often true, my experience has been, and possibly yours has as well, when, you're, when you can get alone with people, when you get them away from the crowd, things can sometimes change. And often the response is much less volatile. That perhaps is why one-to-one evangelism is so helpful and so important. And perhaps why just knocking on people's doors and just speaking to people one-on-one doesn't always garner that kind of really vicious, nasty response because there's no crowd there to goad and egg them on. Maybe that's really helpful to be talking to people one-on-one. And that's why we must be ready to use those opportunities when you're just talking alone with someone and they're much more ready to, to converse with you and have discussions with you about these things. If you find yourself in that position, make the most of the opportunity that you can and speak to people about the truths of God. Often it's the crowd which attacks and ridicules. The crowd does that through the media today. It does it through the corporate media. It does it through the media organisations. And of course crowds can do it on social media as well. And of course the worst of it comes from the people who have the most to lose if we are right. Of course we are right. But as they perceive it, if we are right, the people who have the most to lose will often be the most vocal. These men that Jesus was talking to, they're the ones who have the most to lose if he is right. And that's why they're so vocal against him. And so that's one of the reasons why, for example, certain well-known or not well-known individuals who represent certain movements will often be the ones who are really vocal against Christians, against the Bible, and against uh, biblical truth. Uh, Those who represent the LGBT movement, well, they're the ones with the most to lose, if we're right. Those in the evolutionary scientific community, they're the ones with the most to lose if we're right. If we're right, their world falls apart. And so they're fiercely protective of it. And these representatives often speak out so vehemently Because the Bible, they know the Bible is cutting through and cutting across the things that they hold so dear. And they feel the threat of it. But they can't understand it. 
And because they have the most, if the Bible, the most to lose if the Bible is true, because they are so very wrong if the Bible is true, because they'll have so much that they'll have to abandon if the Bible is true, they come out fighting. And they show themselves to be enemies of God, enemies of Christ, enemies of Christ's people, and enemies of Christ's church. Just like these men confronting Jesus. The specific issues may have changed, but the basic principle is exactly the same. And we can be, well, the Bible warns us and gives us all of these things to see in the way that people treated Christ. That's how they'll often treat us as Christ's people and Christ's representatives in the world today. Here in John chapter 8, these men can't find any meaningful response to the things that Jesus is saying. They don't know how to respond. Can't think of anything useful to say on the matter. And so they just pour scorn on Christ. As they will often pour scorn upon us. You've no intellectual integrity of any kind, they will tell you. God doesn't exist and science has proved it, they will tell you. And who do we think we are to oppose them, they will say. Who are we to challenge and question their authority? And what authority do we have? What authority do we have to say the things we say? Just like they said to Jesus. Who do you think you are to say these things about us? This is how they operate very often. But we see in Jesus how to face them. How to face them. Well, I hope you notice the one thing that Jesus doesn't do is allow them to rile him and wind him up and just hurl a load of abuse back in their direction. I hope you saw that. How to face them. Well, I want, to know, I want you to note very carefully what you can learn from Christ about how to respond. Verse 49, I honour my Father. You're standing up for the honour of God. Honour him in how you respond. Glorify him in how you respond. Behave like a child of God with all the grace and meekness of Christ in how you respond. Verse 50, I do not seek my own glory. I'm not in this for me as a Christian. I'm not in this to make a name for myself as a Christian. I'm not in this to make you try and think that I am someone as a Christian. We're not seeking glory for ourselves in any of these things. And so we don't do or say anything that in any way might be seen as something in which we're trying to attract attention and glory for ourselves. It's the glory of God that's at stake here. And that's our concern. This is God's glory that is being affronted here. And it's his glory that is our great concern. And Christ says in verse 54, if I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It's my Father who honours me, of whom you say that he is your God. 
It's my Father who honors me. We're to stand up for Christ and in his own way and in his own time he will, on, he will honour you for the stand that you're making. And, and that's what you stand for. And you are the Lord's representative and ambassador in that situation. And, and that's the stand that you take, not for the honour of yourself, but for the honour of God. And he will honour you as you make that stand for him. You might remember the story of Eric Liddell in that film, The Chariots of Fire. And as he goes to race in that race that he never normally runs because he's refused to race the race he should be racing because that was to be held on the Lord's Day and he refused to do that. So he enters another race that's not his event. And in the film you see an athlete place a little piece of paper into Eric Liddell's hand. The Lord will honour those who honour him. That's the heart of the Christian when the world is set against us. And verse 55, I know God and I keep his word. So you remain faithful and truthful to the word of God when people oppose you. Honour the Father, seek his glory, not your own. Remain faithful and truthful to the word of God. That's how to face them. Here is Jesus being faithful to his ministry, which is seeking to bring glory to God his Father. His concern is not what people think of him. His concern is what they think of his Father in heaven. His concern is to remain faithful to God and his word. And as long as he's achieving that, what people think of him is is of little consequence to him. The same, of course, was true of the Apostle Paul in the examples that he gives us through his life. And that's our pattern. These must be our motives and our attitudes as well. Remain faithful to God's calling. Don't be doing anything out of selfish motive or ambition. Seek only the honour and the glory of God. And sometimes Jesus gives us the example that the responses that people receive are just very short, straight to the point. Sometimes Christ doesn't answer a word. He just leaves them, in, he just leaves them with their own words ringing in their ears and says nothing. What we must not do is what Christ did not do. Christ did not react out of personal hurt or offence. He could have done, but he doesn't. The Bible tells you repeatedly that the world will hate you because they hate him and that they will hate you as they hated him. But Christ never responds to that hurt or offence that's come his way remaining true to the word of God continuing in the grace and in the strength of God is what we see in Christ remember the spiritual state that these people are in 
How many times are British people heard raising their voices when they try to make themselves understood to someone who speaks a different language? Thinking that shouting will help. As if volume makes any difference. It's the same with biblical gospel truth. Shouting back at them and raising your voice back at them will not make any difference. People won't understand more just because you shout at them. They can't understand. They will think it's strange that you don't run with them in all of their error. And in verse 50, Jesus says, I don't seek my own, my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. There is one who seeks and judges. Now, in some situations and in some circumstances and in some cultures and in some parts of the world and at different times through the church's history, sometimes God's people can find the opposition that comes against them to be a terrible strain. And it really takes its toll on them. Many of the Old Testament prophets were in the same position. Why do the wicked seem to prosper? Why do they seem to be getting away with it all? Why is it that it's the righteous who suffer, you'll find being exclaimed in the Psalms? And here you are as a Christian, determining to live for Christ, to declare his truth, and all you're promised is ridicule and insult and slander very often in return. And you find yourself perhaps looking up to the heavens and telling God that he's got things the wrong way round down here. <laughs> Shouldn't be this way. Well, remember under whose authority you are and remember in whose name you are speaking because God knows there is one who seeks and judges. God sees and hears how and when his children are mistreated for his sake. Not one word against his people is missed. Not one deed or action against his people is overlooked by God. He looks down upon his chosen ones and there burns within his heart such love and affection for those who are his and especially for those who are prepared to walk into the furnace for his sake. And there burns within him such anger and hatred of sin that you can't begin to imagine. And every word that comes from every sinful lip and every deed done by every sinful man or woman against the Lord's people is recorded. And one day, the books will be opened. And God will deal with them in righteousness and in justice and with mercy. And one day, 
all of humanity, great and small, as we see them pictured towards the end of Revelation, they will all stand in the courtroom of God and divine and eternal justice will be done. And for the Christian believer, in the face of the onslaught, that's enough. That's enough to know. There is one who seeks and judges. And I'll leave it with him. And in the meantime, I'm going to do my utmost in Christ's strength and grace to be like Christ. And to love these people and to be the best example I can possibly be. And that is to be sufficient for you, not to find yourself standing in judgment over them yourself. But in the meantime, God is slow to anger. And in the meantime, God has provided an era of grace and we're still in it. And we're still in that time when the gospel is to be faithfully proclaimed so that all who are his in God's grace will be called home. And you'll discover there are those who are not reacting against you. You'll discover there are those who want to sit and listen and talk. And there are those who are drinking in these truths and it's really having an impact on them. And there are those who the Lord will bring upon your path and it's just the right season for you to be there and to say something or give them something. And the Lord will give you those opportunities still where people want to hear what you have to say as the Lord's people. And Christ is and will build his church. And all for whom Christ died need to hear the gospel that they might hear his call to repentance and live. And what a call it is. The call goes out to the enemies of God. And we go in that work with our eyes open as to what we can expect to see sometimes. And we're not afraid. And we don't hold back. And we're not spiritual cowards because we're on the Lord's side. And all will be well for us. Because there are enemies, but there's also eternity. There's eternity. The promise of eternity. Verse 51. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Isn't that wonderful? If you're a Christian, though your body may die, you will not see it. It's a strange thing to watch someone die in front of you, especially if it's a loved one. But they don't see it if they're in Christ. As your body dies, if you're a Christian, your soul lives on, and your soul is with the Lord, absent from the body present with him now we really know you're mad say these people to Jesus 
But this is the great foundation of our faith, isn't it? All through the New Testament, from the mouth of Jesus and from the mouths of the apostles, this is the great message of hope that is being declared. For those who will believe in Jesus, this earthly life is just a short wait. And then we get to see what God really has in store for us. This is even how it was for Abraham, verse 56. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Abraham's hope was in that salvation that God was going to bring. Now, just how much of the detail Abraham knew or understood about Christ, we can't be sure. But I think it's probably true that you know and understand a lot more of the detail than Abraham did. And yet he believed and he was secure in all of these things. And Abraham's hope was in God's coming saviour. We saw that in Galatians 3 this morning. The gospel was presented to Abraham in the scriptures. We read in Galatians 3. And when we talk about eternity, of course, people will say, well, how can you speak with such certainty? How can you know? This is one of the things that really gets to people. Some will think you're incredibly arrogant. Others will think you've lost the plot. How can you know? How can you be so sure? Well, you can know and you can be sure because you have an eternal saviour. An eternal saviour. And this is, one of, this is one of the things that gives us the confidence and the boldness to go out and tell people, regardless of what might come back in our faces, we have an eternal saviour. Because he's God. Who do you think you are, verse 53? Who do you make yourself out to be, verse 53? Verse 58 comes the answer. I am. And they knew exactly what that meant. That great name that God reveals to Moses go back and tell the people of Israel the one who has sent you is I am people often ask where in the Bible does it teach that Jesus is God where in the Bible does Jesus ever claim to be God I am how do we know that that is what Jesus meant? Because of the first words of verse 59. Blasphemy. This man is claiming to be God. No doubt in their mind whatsoever. What do we do with someone like this? We stone him to death. When do we do it? Right now. They had no doubts what it was that Jesus was claiming as he spoke to them. I am the timeless God, the great eternal one. If you've ever been down on the south coast of Devon, 
you can visit a little coastal resort called Babakum. And in Babakum, they have a model village. And if you walk around the model village, you'll find yourself going from scene to scene to scene to scene. And eventually, you'll have taken in the whole thing. And when you're at the first scene, you can't really see much, if anything, of what's coming next. So you take in that scene, then you move on to the next one. And now you've got the memories from that one, and now you see this one. And then you move on to the next scene. And you've got the memories from one and two, and now you're at scene three. And then you get to scene four and five. And that's our lives. As we walk through time. No idea what's coming next. No idea what lies around the corner. But with all the memories of what's gone by. And yet when you've finished, you walk up a hill because it's on the side of a hill. And up at the top there's a terrace. And you discover that you can stand on the terrace. And from the top you can see everything all in one go. And the whole thing is open to your gaze from beginning to end. And you don't have to walk through it at all. It's all there in front of you. And that's the eternal God. And it's all open to him. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and he is the last. The miracle of Christ's condescension is that he stepped down out of eternity into time and made his way through life, scene by scene by scene, just like we do. But this is the great I am, with all of his creation before him. He created it all from beginning to end. He planned it all from beginning to end. He sees and knows it all from beginning to end. He sustains it from beginning to end. He controls it from beginning to end. God in eternity overseeing his whole creation. And then into his world steps the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts himself into the hands of wicked men in order that he might do that which the Father sent him to do. He will lay down his life as a ransom for sin. He will defeat sin. He will defeat the grave. He will defeat the devil. He'll rise to everlasting life and ascend into everlasting glory. And the world will mock and laugh and jeer and ridicule. But above their voices, another voice may be heard. Do you hear it this evening? If anyone hears my word and keeps it, he, she will never taste death. The word of Christ, what is the word of Christ? If anyone keeps my word, the word of Christ is to confess your sin. The word of Christ is to turn from your sins in repentance.
The word of Christ is to take up your cross and follow him, to believe in him, to trust in him, to love him with all your heart and to keep his commandments. That's the word of Christ. And if this is true of you, if Jesus is both Saviour and Lord for you, there will be the enemies who are the enemies of Christ who will make themselves your enemy too. But you have everything in Christ that you need to be able to stand. And although there are enemies, there is eternity. And keeping your eyes fixed on eternity will keep you going. And you have this great assurance. Even if the enemies of Christ do their worst and take my body from me, I will never see death. Do you have that hope? Do you live in that certainty? You can heed the word of Christ.